0: Today is the last in our series on Hebrews uh, and about the superiority of Jesus, which is great as we lead into Christmas. So I'm, we're going to get through quite a chunk of Scripture today. going to let the Word do its work. Uh, and then I'm going to pull out a few what I honestly will describe as crumbs uh, from what's going to be such a rich uh, part of Scripture. But just let me ask you a question first of all. Do you fear God? Because yes. some will say yes and some will say Well, fear, I don't like the sound of that. Am I supposed to fear God? But we should fear God. We should. Much, I should fear God much more than I do if I'm honest with you. The way I treat God sometimes is not someone I'm in awe of but someone I'm kind of a pal with. I hold him to certain conditions. I expect him, as many do, to run the world the way I want it to be run. I tell him he's not doing a great job sometimes if I let myself drift. That doesn't sound like someone who fears God. As we dip into Hebrews for the last time, I want you to position yourself in the mind of those it was written for, Jewish Christians reading this letter, new Christians, because it's important we, we understand how they're reading it so we can think about its application For us right now. Because the shocking thing about Hebrews is it's written to these Jewish, new Jewish Christians thousands of years ago. But when you look at their perspective, it's very similar to ours. They've stopped fearing God in a certain way and are now going back to a a God that is terrifying. And there's a difference between the two. Before Christ, they saw God as like an awesome power that sat above And would occasionally drop down. And when he did, you better get out of the way. Only one person once a year would dare to try to get into something like the presence, well, it was the presence of God in this room. And if that person was not pure, they would just burn up and be dead. They had bells ringing on their cloaks. So as they went in, they said, the bells have stopped ringing. There was a rope tied around his foot. Well, he's dead. Pull him out. That's, that's the presence of God they kind of knew. When God descended down on Mount Sinai in a cloud, God said, don't let anyone get near this. Don't come anywhere near this mountain. Don't even let your livestock get onto this mountain. Don't let the priests come up. He said, don't let the priests come up, because if they come up amongst my holiness, bang, they're gone. But we sing, good, good Father. It's who you are, it's who you are. That, that, that's a long way from that fear and reverence of God. I'm not saying Good Good Father is not a great song, great song. It's up there in the top two, I think, probably after 10,000 reasons. It is a great song because it reminds us of God's heart, but we've got to be careful that we don't put God's heart in front of his awesome majesty and his holiness. So I use this word carefully. To the Christian Jew, God was terrifying. I use that word Kevin's like you don't wanna get near that God. That's what the Jews were carrying with them in their mindset. And it's important that we realize, I think it's important we realize, Jesus coming changes everything. We know that, okay, so now the presence of God is available to us. That doesn't mean Jesus softened God's heart in a way that made him think, well, I'm not so bothered about sin anymore. God was still angry with the sin of the world. God's wrath is not diminished in Jesus. It's satisfied in Jesus. God's wrath at our way of sinning and the way we continue to sin is not diminished by Jesus going to the cross. It's satisfied on that cross. I was struck last night when I was prepping. I had to stop, and I was prepping for ages because I found this such a, a difficult section of Scripture to wrestle with, and I will read it shortly, trust me. Um, does, does, does God? And this is a question. Theologians and people at LSD will love this because I'm not going to answer it. Does God look on the cross, and does he see victory? Or does he look on the cross and see the price of victory? Does he look at it and go, what a wonderful thing that cross was? Or does he look at it and say, what a tragic thing that my son had to die on that cross. The pain and the suffering. I was speaking to someone recently about, they wanted to watch Passion of the Christ. And I said, just be careful. Just be careful. This ain't no good, good father territory. When you see the Passion of the Christ, you realize on that cross is a horrific death. Jesus had to die. So does he look? God look on the cross and say, "Hey!" Or does he look at it and go, "That's where it had to happen." He will look then at the stone roll back, and he'll go, "That is victory over death, right there." But on that cross, sin had to die. In horrific circumstances, but Jesus rises again in three days' time. There's victory. There's death defeated for you. That's victory. That's tragic, but it had to happen. I, I, theologians carry on with that one. God's hatred of sin is not compromised because Jesus dies on the cross. It's proven because Jesus had to die on the cross. Jonathan Edwards, the, um, the uh, re- American revivalist theologian, um, said once this, and I think it's worth just considering. Some talk of it as an unreasonable thing to think to fright persons into heaven, but I think it's a reasonable thing to endeavour to fright persons away from hell that stand upon the brink of it and are just ready to fall into it and are senseless of their danger. It is a reasonable thing to fright a person out of a house of fire. It's important to remember the price and what God saved us from. Eternal separation from him. I watched, mistakenly, don't watch it, it's awful. I loved the first two, Bill and Ted's. The new one's terrible. In every regard, it's awful. Keanu Reeves, what were you thinking, man? You're so rich. Why did you do that? But there's this scene when they go down to hell. Oh, my world, what a joke. All they're doing is a bit of hard labor. Still dressed in their clothes, just—it's the way they we downgrade the price and cost of sin to that, just shoveling a few rocks with your mates down in what seemed to be a fairly tepid climate. Terrible film on so many levels. The judgment of sin leads to hell, without Jesus, and without that revelation, we're going to struggle. To not feel awkward about sharing the good news with our friends and family. Because it's more like an invitation to to heaven if you want it, rather than a thought that, well, there is consequences if you don't choose this. Not so much because of what you can be saved into, glorious though it is, but we also have to remind people what they're saved from. And I could easily digress for ages here, but I'm not going to. The point is, these Christian Jews, the written to in Hebrews, needed to be reminded what they were being saved from. The judgment and wrath of God that was no longer going to be satisfied by the old systems they had, the sacrificing of animals, this guy going in once a year, the high priest to risk his life to try and see if he could atone and pay for the sins of the people for another year because they were starting to walk back to an old way of thinking. And it would expose them again. If they were to walk all the way back, they couldn't, but if they did walk all the way back to their old way, they get exposed again to a vengeful, wrathful God who is genuinely and justifiably frustrated that he creates us, he's holy, we mess up. They walk back to that, but they walk back without Jesus. There's nothing back there to go back to because that system has gone. So what do you have? You just have sin and nothing. No defense. So I'm going to let the scripture speak as best I can. Um, I'm going to try and cover three areas if I get through them all. I want to make time to pray today. I want us to go back into worship. I want us to end this series with a declaration of victory. But I'm going to try and cover the superior, unshakable kingdom, the superior love of Jesus, and the superiority of, in Jesus, which is how I try and wrap everything up. So I'm going to read uh, the the last part of 12. We got up to 12.17 last week. I'm going from 12.18 till the end. Then I'll draw something from that and I'm going to do 13, which you will tell when I read it. I'm only going to touch on some parts of it today, but I want to wrap up well. So if you're in your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 12.18. I'll put it on the screen as well. Let me read it to you. For you have not come to what may be touched. So, So now think about what we're talking about here is this discussion that I had earlier about coming to the mountain of God and not being able to touch. You have not come from what may be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Moses himself, I tremble with fear in the presence of God. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the innumerable angels in festival gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are in th- enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer God to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. So... Firstly, just a reminder to the audience, the audience of this letter will know what that means. They know the Old Testaments because that's what they will have heard and we have access to that on our phones and everything else. The Bible is not just the New Testament, okay? They will know what they're talking about when they come to this because it's a reference to Exodus and I mentioned this earlier but let let me say a little more on it. There we go. To Exodus, to the shakeable time. So it says this in Exodus 19, 12 to 13. Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Like I said earlier, not even the priests were to go up this mountain uh, full of fire, full of God's power, they would be literally toast. And it's a reminder to these people reading this and to us today, without Jesus how do we approach God? Because in the right definition of this, without Jesus, he's unapproachable. That doesn't mean he's not loving. It means you can't approach him Unless you have Jesus. The writer is continually asking, do you want to go back to the old systems, to the old ways? Because that's related to the unapproachable God, the one you can't approach. So you go back to that, you're walking back to a system that no longer exists and a way that meant he was not approachable. That's what you're walking back to. Those were temporary systems to allow temporary access. He offers a permanent system in Jesus Christ for permanent access to the Father. This is where things get pretty interesting in this scripture. It's all interesting, but a couple of things stood out to me. The writer starts to point out the shakable nature of things, things that can be shaken. These things that are physical will be shaken. Shaken. Everything that has been made, it says. I think that's interesting for two reasons. Firstly, the writer is starting to point out that listen, what you put your faith in, what you're believing is the current systems of the Jews, the temples, Jerusalem itself, these things can be shaken. These things are not what you're now called into. These things were just are just shadows. The tabernacle was a shadow of what now is an offer. It was, a, it was a, an indicator. Look, this is how you get into the presence of God in this old system, which is one person once a year through a very thin route. Now we've opened up. That's just a shadow. You can come into the presence of God like that, but only once a year and at high risk. Now something far greater has happened. That was a shadow of what now is an offer. And you might miss that. You might say, okay, fair enough, got that. If you do know your Bible, so what? But this is what got Stephen killed. This is what got Paul in such trouble because they're starting to say, all this stuff, this doesn't matter anymore. And that may sound like, yeah, well, I agree. But saying that was so significant that Stephen gets killed for it. And in fact, they say he didn't say it. They just said he said it because they knew if they said he said that the temple, Jesus, this guy, Jesus, he follows, is going to destroy the temple. That was enough. will destroy the temple. That is enough. And Stephen is killed for that. That's why some people say Hebrews is anonymous. Because it's such a dangerous thing that that the writer is saying in many places. That's a theory that does hold some merit. Because it was so radical in dismissing the things they put all their faith in. Now we may not be quite as obsessed with all that stuff, those thoughts, but that's where they found their security. That's where they found their security. They put much of their faith, the Jews, in these things, these physical things, these physical places, this physical building. So let me ask you a question. Me a question. Ask a question. Where's your security? Where is my security? I know where it should be. But I'll honestly tell you, that's not where it always is. Hebrew wants to challenge us. Where does your security lie? Are we putting our faith in shakeable things? The last two years, I said it when I was praying sitting back there, should have shown us how shakeable everything is. Funnily enough, we live in the United Kingdom. This kingdom is easily shaken. I'm going to loop back to that a little later on, but I ask that question: Where does your security come from? Because the obvious Christian answer: It's Jesus. I know, but the issue that he's facing with the Hebrew the people, readers of the Hebrews is: It's Jesus and these other things. And that's the worry of the writer. You've got Jesus plus going on here. You're saying, my, I, my faith rests in Jesus. We just sung Cornerstone. You know, as Tom pointed out, some of these songs we're singing, like, whoa. I, I challenge you sometimes. Some songs uh, that we, we sing don't do this, but some do. If you sit down and read it, you're thinking, would I actually read that out loud in a public place? You know, there's a, I give you my heart, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, like, would I read that out like in a, in a court of law? I'm just going to make this statement right now. But we'll sing it. But some of these things are calling us to say, do you really, really believe this stuff you're, you're singing? It's Jesus plus for them. And I want to wager it's often Jesus plus for us as well. And that leads into the second point, which I think is also interesting about just the context of this piece of scripture questions are asked, does the writer of Hebrews know what's about to happen? Is it prophetic? Because two years later, Jerusalem is obliterated. The temple is destroyed. And at that point, this letter is then suddenly a reassurance to those that stuck with Jesus. But the things that they were leaning back into, walking back towards, thinking, well, I'm going to have that and that. This thing He's completely laid waste. There's a a Jewish historian called Josephus. I read his account of, a bit of his account of what happened at that moment when there was the siege of Jerusalem and it was basically destroyed. I couldn't read it out to you. I couldn't read it out to you today. It would be too traumatizing. All I'll say is 1.1 million were just literally slain, they killed everything in their past. They destroyed and burned everything they came across as the Romans went through that city under um, it was Emperor Titus at the time. So much so that Titus refused to claim victory publicly because he said it's just so desperately awful that that's what happened. Their God didn't save them. I want to ask a question of all of us. What's going to happen when the things that we put our security in start to crumble? Jesus will never crumble, but these other things, the pluses, can easily crumble. We're going to pray later for freedom from security that comes in the things that can be so easily shaken. But for now, let me read. I'm going to read into chapter 13. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to work through this scripture because it says the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. I could not do justice to, to all of what I'm about to read but I want to read it to you as a ministering thing because it will lead into a couple of similar points and a, and a new point, and then I'm going to bring this all stuff all together. So I'll read it to you. Read along with me the whole of 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in high honour among all, and let ma- the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can, be com- we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I could do a whole preach on that. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by fools, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside... Just checking I numbers up, up to speed there. let, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us confidently offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I'll read that again, just to reflect on our worship. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and those who will have to give an account. That's a scripture elders really struggle when we read that. I know it's true, but... Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Okay, like I said, I prayed and I hope that that scripture, and I would encourage you to read it um, it's, not, it's one of the pr- more straightforward sections, to be honest with you, of Hebrews. Although it jumps around quite a lot. It seems to be like, and here's a bunch of other stuff I need to make sure you're aware of, right at the end. But it's not a complex um, chapter in its own right. And there's a lot of uh, other alternative uh, translations you can read that just kind of give you some insights into it. But I want to bring out two topics, and just two. Um, one is the superior love of Jesus. Um, now, we have to look at... and, and Always makes me nervous talking about Greek with Marion sat right there. But, but I've loved our Greek course. I've, I've loved the love side of it, to be honest with you. One of the things that people know at the, both of the weddings I've spoken to recently is I've really pretty much spoken about the words for love. We've just got this one word, love, and the Greeks have got many, and then many other contexts of the word for love. And I think it's really interesting and fascinating. But in this section of Scripture, especially at the front end, there's, there's a mention of love. And the words that get used in this is uh, Philadelphia, I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm just not going to look at her. Uh, Okay. Um, (laughs) Meaning love of brothers and sisters. um, That the writer is telling them, maintain that. It's important. Keep that love going between brothers and sisters. Um, And... Because of Christ and what him binding them together, you read in Acts about them selling and looking after one another and putting others first, looking after their brothers and sisters in Christ. That has to keep going. That's a critical part of evidentially being a loving community because you love and support one another. So much so the Quakers named Philadelphia, Philadelphia, because that's what they were hoping it would be, a community of love for one another. Um, But the second word used um, was to avoid that being the only way to love, falling into the trap. It's very similar to Marion's preach of a little while ago. This idea of you know, loving internally is right, but that shouldn't be all. And in fact, looking to Jesus, he seemed to love externally more than internally. The second word is philoxenos. Philoxenos. There you go. Got a fairly reasonable nod there. Um... The love of the outsider, the love of the foreigner, this hospitality um, that Marin spoke on recently. The laying down of your life for those outside of the camp. As Jesus lays down his life for those outside the camp. They took the sacrificial animals that were sacrificed outside the camp. There's, There's something in that, in that scripture. It's loving those that are outside. We are called to love and hospitality for those outside of our faith. Now, you would say, all right, I think I agree with that. But when we look at other faiths, again, just being honest, do we say, we're right, you're wrong, therefore you are the enemy of my faith. You're against what I believe, therefore you are not welcome. This is a call to invite those that are not of the Christian faith, in as guests. To treat them as those that Jesus would love and seek and save. It's a reminder, Jesus did not come for the righteous, but he came for the sinner. He came for the lost. He came for those that don't know him, not those that do. And yet somehow in our twisted culture, because everything seems so rival-driven, perhaps we can blame everything. Every part of our culture has become about rivalry and comparison. We have started to look at those of another faith and saying, You're the enemy because you're Muslim. You're Sikh. You're the one. No, away from me. No. And he says, No, no. That's exactly where we go. Exactly where we go. Jesus was labeled what he was called the friend of sinners. The friend of sinners, That's and what are we supposed to be? Imitators of Christ. Therefore, we're supposed to be the friend of sinners. There was a survey done in America recently, a massive survey of 20 somethings. They said, give us the words that describe Christians. I was in a thing with a guy and he said, everyone write down the words. Of course, depending on your perspective, you wrote them down certain ways, but just shout one out. What do you think they said? Top five words to describe Christians. Judgmental. That was number five. Religious. Religious, Not even in there. Bigoted. Hypocrites. Number three. (laughs) Not in there, but you know, you get it off your chest. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's what they said. Homophobic, anti-abortion, hypocritical, right-wing, judgmental. How does that line up with Jesus friend of sinners? It's a lot of anti. It's a lot of I'm against stuff. That's what they saw. You are against all these things. Whether they're right or wrong, that's what we were seen as, we are seen as. Now we're not American, but I don't think it's that different from the UK. Maybe a slightly different order. I think boring might make it in actually. Um, We're called to be imitators of God. Jesus is our cornerstone. He's our plumb line. He's the one we're following. He's the one we're supposed to reflect in our society. And we end up like this. That's because we're not doing that other type of love in a way that makes a difference. We've got to change it. We're trying to change it as a church. We need to change this. Hebrews 13 is a call to get amongst the sinners Get amongst the lost, anyone, regardless of whether they oppose their Christian values or not, and show them Jesus is better than anything on offer. Again, not to repeat Marion's preaching on hospitality, but if you're someone who thinks, I'm not really into the idea of serving those people, you know we're doing a lot of stuff with the Afghans at the moment, then there's not a Christian amongst them, okay? Yet. But we're serving that But we're serving those people, and you say, "Well, that's not really, I'm not really into that. I'm not really sure that's the right thing to do. I want to look after them right inside the church." Philadelphia, Hebrews reminds Jesus lived more for loxenos, for those outside. Okay. I'm just going to try and wrap up. We're going to get the timing right, which is great. We're going to spend some time in prayer and worship. But I want to wrap up just with three final warnings that come out of Hebrews in that section. Like I say, I could do, we could do three or four preachers on this, this section of Scripture alone. But I want to just talk about securities again, idols, and things that are vying for our attention. And if you look at that section of Hebrews, you'll realise that there are three G-gods in the very first section, There is, and they, they, if you look at them, remember, Jewish Christians thousands of years ago, oh, they're so different from us, aren't they? Not at all. These are the things that he was warning against. These are your gods. That section about Philoxenos was to point out, you love yourself before you love others. There is a God of self at play. Oh my word did we have that issue today. So much is compromised by I'm not happy, I'm not getting what I want, this isn't going the way I think it should have done. God stinks. Verses 1 to 3 speak about the God of self. Verse 4 speaks about the God of sex. Again, our society. You know what? Um, whether we delete this out later. or not. One of the things I've found hardest about spending time with the Afghan guys, is realising how sexual our society is. And all the things that they said, well, sorry, but we really don't want to watch that. I'm thinking, but we do, without question, watch so many things that are sexually driven. And I'm going to offend about half the room now. Friends and Big Bang Theory. You know what? I've watched every episode of Friends, laughed through them all. I know there's someone in this room who could quote every line out of it. But sometimes I sit back and think, you know what, it's just, there's no marriage in here till the very, very end. This isn't their intention. Big Bang Theory is about Lenny and Penny. Everyone's like, isn't it so sweet? And you would put, sit down your Muslim friend, and let's not get too far into this, this isn't a slam point, and say, should we watch this together? I go, we're going watch a Big Bang Theory. Can't watch that one. Because that's so sexually driven in a funny way. And yet we do just let it permeate our society. Because we have the God of sex and sex sells. going to get a nasty letter about friends, I'm sure, about that one. And the God of money and all that it offers. Because these are three common objects of worship that he knew they would suffer from if they were slipping back into old ways, slipping back to old securities and old idols. It was all going to come back. Yet these were the things that we should expect We should expect now to be transformed in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. So Hebrews is a call to recognize the superiority of Jesus over everything. It reminds those Jews back then that become Christian and us right now that Jesus was and is a superior leader, greater than Moses, the one they held in such high regard. Whoever you think of as someone you idolize, as someone who you think, I want to follow them, Jesus just wipes them away. So much superior to Moses, who led an entire nation out of captivity. They say, Jesus is a far greater leader than that, because he'll lead you right to God. A superior high priest, remember Melchizedek we talked about, a superior hope, a superior tabernacle, as in the place you enter the presence of God, so restrictive. Thank God it was available at all to these people, but so restricted. Now Jesus comes, you've got this superior tabernacle because you can come into the presence of God. A superior sacrifice, replacing all animal sacrifices and ways of saying sorry and doing things again, is replaced by a repentant heart and a sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. A superior country and kingdom, a superior relationship to anything you can ever get because it'll never, ever let you down and it'll always guide you in paths of righteousness and a superior model of love. These are all things the writer knew, they put value in these things, and I need to show them Jesus is a better way. Most of that would go on our list too, and certainly the idols as well. Things that were idolised, things that were worship, and under pressure, and this is the probably my final point before I try and wrap this up completely, under pressure, when things aren't going well. And re- And just so you know, to this Jewish bunch of Christians, their leaders are going to get killed soon. They're going to go under pressure. And this letter was a warning, and Jerusalem falling. Under pressure, what are you going to do? You're going to run back to the old ways, which won't solve anything, or you're going to stick with Jesus, who will see you through all these things, because this isn't your home anymore. We are aliens in this world, called to a future kingdom, living in eternity from the day we were saved on this earth. When I was in my late teens, you think I'm going to say I was in a band, don't you? Because I say that so many times. I'm not actually. or that I was cool once. I'm not going to say that either. So if you're you're new to that, it's two habits I have. That and running down country music. Um, But when I was in my late teens, all I wanted to do was be famous. I wanted to be revered by others because I was obsessed with myself. I was obsessed with girls and sex and I loved the thought of having loads of money. By the time I was 23, I was on a path where most of those things were coming to reality. I was semi-famous. I had girlfriends, plural. Hey, look at me. Not proud of that at all but I also had a good income. Famously, someone asked J.D. Rockefeller once, the richest man in America at the time, how much money someone needs to be truly content. His answer was, just a few dollars more. When Jesus came into my life, those idols and those securities were supposed to be replaced. because they were not where I would find value anymore. They would not be where I put my faith. They would not be where I found security. Well, like those Christians being written to in Hebrews, those things have a habit of creeping back to the point when, do you worry to the point of distraction, maybe even feeling ill and losing sleep about the things like that? Money, house, family, securities, Because that's where anxiety will lay because those things can all be shaken to the ground. I confess I have those weaknesses and I want us all to be honest and we're going to pray into this. Do we put our faith in Jesus and if these things are okay then I'm probably going to be okay because these things often are those that will be shaken and can easily crumble. Or do we want to embrace the eternal place of God, the eternal promises, the heavenly Jerusalem and all that that represents? I'll be honest with you. I'm sick of worrying. I'm sick of being concerned about so many things in this life. I want to be able to be at peace in this life of saying, look, these things that seem to cause me to stay awake at night or stare at the wall in concern... Because like you, I have many concerns about everything, from my health through to my children, through to my work, my career. I'm self-employed, which makes me very close to whether I can earn enough money or not. I'm sick of worrying about those things. I want what is being spoken about here. I want to be secure, knowing that in eternity I'm part of another kingdom. And and this doesn't really matter, these things, because they could all be shaken and taken away but I'm too preoccupied with them to sometimes feel comfortable and at peace. And that distracts me from my faith. That causes me to behave in a certain way, not chase God, but chase other things. But by the Spirit, I'm able to be transformed away from those false kingdoms, those false securities, those false idols. Jesus is a superior King and he lives in a superior kingdom. So if I can get the band back up. I'm going to ask them if they can mind playing something just maybe Will and um, Dave. Maybe just the last song we did just instrumentally would be great. Um, We'll we'll sing a song in a bit. But I want us to take time because we made time today. I want us to take like five minutes to reflect. And I want to lead us in some prayers. And if you want to respond... um, then I would ask you to, to, you know, if you want someone to come, I think many of us will want to respond, and you can respond where you are, but I also know that for some of it, this is a genuine struggle. That you know there are things that you put your, you've almost like hedged your bets on, or you're saying, if this thing works out for me, that's when I'll be happy, and that's an earthly shakable thing. (laughs) And that's become a bit of an obsession, a sleep-losing, worrying thing, relationship, physical things, financial things, they're things that God would want you to have. Don't let's not, be, let's not be silly here. Everything, you know, if you get a nice house, it's a sin. But is that becoming an object of such obsession that Jesus is just out of the equation and he's vying for your attention? Do you want to replant your feet firmly in the unshakable heavenly kingdom of God, the heavenly Jerusalem and all the securities that Christ says he offers for you? So no matter what life throws at you, You won't run to earthly securities, but you'll push harder into the securities of the positions you have in God. I want to ask, I want to offer three opportunities to pray and be prayed for. If you want someone to pray with you, but all it is is a hand in the air, guys, and someone will come and sit with you and pray with you. The prayer team are ready, they've got their badges on, and they're happy to come and sit with you and pray with you. If they end up too busy, someone else can come and pray with you. But don't sit there thinking, I'm... Too embarrassed to put my hand up because I would have prayer for most of these. I've lost. Are you there, Jeff? I can't move it on one. Could you try for me just to see if it all... Or is it frozen? I'll read them out if it won't. Anyway, I'll read them out and if they come up, it's great. But listen carefully. First thing, to confess... Oh, there we go. That's it. I'll let you bring it back up. At the beginning, yeah, I'll get to it. Let me go and I'll okay. There we are. Okay, these are prayers of confession first confess to the idols we have, self fulfillment of myself over others, sex and money and pray the spirit transforms how we see them. If you want prayer for that, when we go into this moment of reflection, pray for that but but absolutely ask if you want someone to pray with you. Confess we put our security in Jesus plus. Again, you can ask for prayer for freedom from the anxiety that comes alongside when we put our faith in things that can be shaken. Relationships, whether we have them or we want them, marriage, money, health, career confess we put our security in those things and if those shake we feel completely at a loss then put your hand up if you want someone to come and pray with you for that and specifically I felt specifically for some people confess if you know that you see those outside of Christianity as enemies as those that are opposing your faith and therefore not worth your time that's not what Jesus did or would do So confess that and ask that you become a befriender of people, not the enemy of others.